Welcome to Punning on Empty, the weekly pop culture podcast in which two averagely informed people discuss film, television and anything else they got distracted by whilst inspired by a pun. Along the way, we'll try and help you decide what's worth paying attention to and what isn't. Remember to vote for future episodes at punningonempty.com. Subscribe or follow the podcast if you don't already and leave a review if you like us. Hello, Jana. Hi, Jamie. Show me the money. <laughs> Show me the money. Show me the money. It's an iconic line, isn't it? It's, that, it's an incredible scene. Show me <laughs> the I, money. That, your delivery. <laughs> that was a bit Alan Partridge. Before we get into cruise control, what have you been up to? What have you been watching, Jamie? I mean, and I think this is a really good advert for your powers of like persuasion and also as a tastemaker and influencer i binge watched all of wandavision oh i'm so happy did you just watch it all in a row just in a single night now you're with the rest of us who's gonna every week waiting for it on a friday like how tv used to be (laughs) yeah well no i'm I'm excited now because i sort of I, i understand and also i i feel i feel very well placed to say that uh you know Obviously, you're you're my uh, you're my co-presenter of this podcast. However, very good job explaining what One Division is. That was I felt like I had a real <laughs> I had a real toehold in it. I did basically OD on it though. Like last night, it got to be about half two in the morning, and I'd watched it all in one solid go. And I felt yeah, I felt quite overwhelmed because it's quite a trippy, you know. It's yeah. Quite, it's, it's quite a trippy mood to it generally but they are only 25 minutes long they, they are you know old school sitcom length so that's what's good about it i did a you and i read up that the episodes are different lengths because they don't have to be the same length because it's oh really it's, yeah so apparently like um uh the earlier the earlier episodes are shorter than the later episodes because they were like well we don't have to adhere to a broadcast slot because we don't have to fit into a broadcast schedule because it's just going it's going on disney plus so it will be as long as it needs to be to tell the story. We don't have to make it exactly 25 minutes. It's like, I think the first ones are 21 and then it goes out to like half an hour or something, one of them. I've never watched The Great British Bake Off. However, I wanted to talk to you about the celebrity lineup for this year. Have you heard who's in the lineup? I know. I, if, if you were going to pick an area of culture that I knew least about it would be the sort of celebrity like the ice skating and the dancing and the baking I'm not I'm not being a snob I just I've just never got into it I'm like I'm definitely not a snob I just only have a finite amount of time (laughs) so I just haven't been able you know I haven't been able to get into it this lineup has me intrigued and I'm just (laughs) going to throw a few names out there Jamie and I think I think you'll agree we're talking James McAvoy. J- James McAvoy? Yes, star whole, of Holly, X-Men Hollywood. Apocalypse. Yes. Okay. We're talking Daisy Ridley. And what? They've just gone to Hollywood and now they all want to be in Baker because it's in America now. I, d- I mean, I actually find that crazy. <laughs> Oh I mean, God. I like James McAvoy. This is making me want to watch it. I like Daisy Ridley. So, you know, we're also talking our favourite, Stacey Dooley. Oh, How gosh. are these people all going to be together? I mean, this is just... It's, it's, very, it's very chaotic to me. Like, <laughs> I just like the idea of her going, 
I, I didn't know how cakes were made, so I set out to find out how are cakes made. <laughs> Paul Hollywood, how is a cake made? I was shocked. I was shocked by what I discovered. I was shocked to discover cakes start out cool and get hot in an oven, <laughs> which is a kind of box full of hot air. Now, um, obviously I love Stacey Dooley. That's, I'm not mocking Stacey Dooley there at all. I would never do so. Thanks, um also, Dizzy Rascal. <laughs> oh my God, what? <laughs> I know, and also, Girls Aloud star, Nadine Coyle. It's just a brilliant combination of people. I've just thought of a natural segue from Avengers Partially Assembled to Cruise Control. I've thought of the link. Right, we don't need a link, because it's an, it's an episodic podcast. <laughs> Like. All right, but I mean, if we had a link, if we, I mean, it doesn't have to be like, I'm not saying we have to justify, but as in it's, sure, what I mean is, is it not interesting that there is a link? It's more, yeah, what no, I mean. that is interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So, we've just discussed the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like 23 films, some TV shows, one of the most successful and ambitious sort of cross platform storytelling um, projects ever. And of course, Tom Cruise is very firmly part of the Dark Universe. Uh, the the attempt to do the same thing with the mummy, Frankenstein, Dracula. You know about this? No, oh, no. What are you talking about? <laughs> the dark universe. Have you never read articles about the dark universe? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. I mean, I didn't even know that those films were linked. I just thought they were all rubbish. Yeah. Okay. So what it is is that. Universal Studios, who are, you know, massive, massive company, um, off the back of, you know, like literally off the back of like Marvel, sort of MCU and seeing how successful they were, everyone went, oh, do we have anything we can do that with? And Universal were like, oh, we've got amazing like films, we've done all this amazing stuff, but there's no, you, can't, you, you know, you can't like argue that Top Gun and Back to the Future are in the same universe. Um, however, what they did have was like a lot of those sort of, old classic universal pictures like Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, The Mummy, The Invisible Man, Bride of Frankenstein, Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And what they did was, at some point, God, was this like six or seven years ago, they just started referring to that as the dark universe. <laughs> they didn't. They oh did. This is like... <laughs> they totally did. And like, do you remember, the, you know, the, <laughs> like, and they were like, just, oh yeah, yeah. It just it makes sense. No, I promise you, look, look this up afterwards. So what they were going to do was they, they like, but what they did, what I love about it is that they kind of clearly got a bit ahead of themselves. Like they were like, they started talking about the dark universe before that version of the mummy film, which was an attempt to reboot the mummy as a franchise, mm. um, got going. So it was as if, you know, it's as if Marvel, Marvel didn't start talking about like the Marvel Extended Universe, like until Iron Man was massive. Like until it yeah. landed and was one of the biggest. Yeah. And also, it's just a brilliant film. Except, like, so Universal just had The Mummy reboot, which was terrible and everyone hated it and didn't want to watch it. And then they were like, oh, well, yeah, probably the Dark Universe isn't going to really work very well, is it? Because <laughs> the first film didn't work. And that was our best one. Like, yeah, we're probably not going to get The Bride of Frankenstein away now, are we? <laughs> Oh, I feel sorry for them in a way. 
Before we go into cruise control, I just need to do some corrections from last week. So, firstly, I pronounced Kevin Feige right, and yes, you yes, corrected you me. So then oh. I, the second time I said it wrong, so I apologise to Kevin Feige. I apologise to you because I, I, I confidently I confidently introduced some errors, but that's what it's like to be a boy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's fine. That's fine. You also called Mark Ruffalo Paul Ruffalo. Paul Ruffalo. Paul Rudd. I got Paul Rudd and Mark <laughs> Ruffalo mixed up in it. They're both lovely little men. Yeah. Yeah. You said he's a lovely man. Paul Ruffalo, lovely man. I mean it. If if they were melted together into one person, I'd love that person. <laughs> And then I, uh, thinking about it, I can't 100% say that Eli Roth said Dracula came out of the Second World War. Now I'm reflecting on it, I feel like he said it came out of a war, which I can't remember. So if that makes more sense, if that makes more sense, I just don't want people to think that he was talking rubbish. You know, he he said Dracula was a response to a war. I I'm not. I couldn't say hand on heart. He definitely said the Second World War. Well, Dracula's it's the eighteen seventies, isn't it? And I, I had a look at some of the wars. There are wars. Obviously, there are always <laughs> wars. Like is that, you know, saying like something happened because of war is a safe a safe bet. But I couldn't see a war that I would thought would have like echoed into like British society to an extent that they. I mean, I th- it's, again, it's Dracula's pretty firmly established as like a metaphor for like class, like class stuff, isn't it? It's like the aristocracy sucking the blood of the working class. Like, it's like is it? Yeah, that's that's like that's that's the main metaphor that I've ever heard it heard it used to interpret. It's like you know the like the the. Count, I thought it the... was just um, people being sexy. <laughs> I thought it was just they couldn't write about sex. So they wrote about drinking people's blood and feeling funny. <laughs> well, well, I've read a number of times the, the idea that, yeah, the sort of, you know, the, 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 the landowner swooping down and sucking the blood of the working class women. Uh, you know, it's pretty, pretty oh, right. blatant. Well, I'm just going off of, I've obviously read every single Anne Rice vampire book. That's what I'm going off of. But no, look, I don't look. No, I don't think anyone came away from that thinking we were slagging Elo Roth off. He's just historic. He's just illiterate. He's just historically <laughs> illiterate, and that's fine. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing. I'm on the phone with every studio at night. Insurance companies. Producers. And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies. We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again. Ever. And if you don't do it, you're fired. And I see you do it again, you're gone. Oh, what do you think of that, Jamie? To be honest, I'm like, that's my parenting in lockdown. Uh, yeah, I'm like... Other parents are looking at me for how we do this. <laughs> parents, teachers, everyone. And you can't even do exactly what I say all the time. Uh, I, I was very conflicted about that because I, whilst I am on his side for taking 
COVID protocols seriously. And there's also, as always with Tom Cruise, there's the enormous egotism of the whole world is watching us to learn how to make movies. It's like, nah, they're not. They're not, Tom. Yeah. But they are. But they are. Like, <laughs> him having Mission Impossible 7, yeah, it is helping keep Hollywood afloat. And he is right that everyone was looking to him. If that shut down, people would just be like, we just can't make films on that scale at the moment. So I think, you know... Why do I love Tom Cruise? I like people who, you know, talk talk the talk, but back it up. He's He is the biggest star. <laughs> people are looking to him. It's true, Jamie, it's true. Already with Tom Cruise, you've introduced the idea of scale, which I think is important. Like, you know, he doesn't like being in films where they put something next to him that's the size it is, so you can work out how big he is. <laughs> I don't think that's true. So, cruise control. Cruise um, control. I, I interpreted that to like, sort of look at Tom Cruise, look at both his control as an actor, like his mastery of his craft, but also his control of his image, mm. and also his gradual kind of control of like, production, and you know, his, as, he te- as he seeks to take more control of the production process in his career. Yeah, that's, that was my interpretation, which is very similar to be pretty much the top of the top A-list movie star, you you do just have to have an element of control over everything. And that, yeah, that is about your image. That That is about, you know, because he's not just an actor. Like in Mission Impossible 2, isn't he like the producer? That's why he's going mad about, because it's, it's about money as well, isn't it? And is it a bit about mind control, Scientology? As a gymnast, what did you think about his gymnastic control when he jumped up off of that sofa that time? Do you think that was was that good form that he displayed? I just feel sorry for him about that. At the time, I just felt really sorry, and I was like, "Why is everyone mocking him? He's he's just happy." And it sort of was at the time when I think the internet really started exploding with like gossip, and yeah, I thought, "So what? He's jumped on Oprah Winfrey's sofa." He's a bit awkward. He's a bit socially awkward and it's not fair, is it? No, I think the reason everyone responded was because it was like, it was Tom Cruise trying to be a human. He was like, ah, yes. He was like, ah, yes, I have seen how you humans express joy. You jump from sofas. I shall do it. (laughs) That's why I just, I think like, it was genuinely fascinating to, to like look at his career written down in a filmography that I don't think I'd ever done before. And just like, look at how he has, he has, he's throughout his career, he's very definitely believed in this idea that when you do one thing, the audience should then know, like, you know, like your audience should follow you to the, to the next thing. Like he, there are little mini, mini phases in his career, aren't there? Like there's, you know, um, uh, the two, what are the two most famous lawyer films that he was in? He did, he did well, a few a, good a men. A few good men, which I watched last night, and I've never seen it before. It was brilliant. It's an amazing. Well, I mean, it's Aaron, it's Aaron, Aaron Sorkin, Sorkin. making someone. You can't someone... handle the truth. <laughs> uh, Demi Moore was very good in it. Like, um, but he was just, he was brilliant. He was so good. Um, I watched that last night and then obviously The Firm. And The Firm I actually saw in the cinema when it came out. 
I and, think I um, did as well, yeah. possibly, yeah. Which is sort of, it's funny, isn't it? Because we would have been so young, but yet we went to see a Michael Crichton... Legal drama, yeah. I remember that, that was the, that's his first running scene, in my mind, where he has a very long run for no reason. <laughs> That he yeah. then that then comes up in every film, but in from what I remember, the firm was the first example of of his of him running. Uh, no, surely he. There's a running scene in um, Top Gun. Surely don't they run on the beach? Famously? I don't think it's the same sort of running scene. <laughs> they've got they in Top Gun. They've got the volleyball scene, haven't they? They've got a lot of exercise scenes in 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 Top Gun, but have they got? Tom Cruise running on a mission. Oh, I see what you mean. You mean like when he does that singular Yeah, with running, his arms running, pumping. Running. Yeah, his yeah. his hands out, his palms out flat. Yeah. Well, he's got he's got to run like that because he's got a very short stride <laughs> length. So he's like, you know, he's like imagine, I don't know, like a garden gnome. Imagine if you were putting a garden gnome up against a real human in a race. They'd have to really, you know, they'd have to Stop get that but Jamie, either... like, look, all I'm saying is this making fun of him, like, isn't it? It's obviously no wonder that he's mad. Like, I don't blame him for Scientology. I don't blame him for any of the mad stuff because obviously it must be very crazy to be the most famous man in the world. Oh, I don't know if he's the most famous man in the world anymore. I mean, maybe uh, well, at points he has been. He definitely think... was at the height of his star power, and people aren't movie stars aren't the same anymore. He was, he was like the number one A list actor. I mean, he's got when you look at his career, it is there are it's got an extraordinary high level of success. Like, there are very few absolute duds. Yes, because, there. why? He's an amazing, charismatic, A-list actor. He's brilliant. Mm, He's brilliant in all of his roles. He brings would... a star quality to the screen. He can just switch it on. You believe in the character. I think he's a confident, charismatic psychopath and you're getting swept up away in that. He's not. He didn't start off being a psychopath. It, this is what stardom turned him into. So what stardom turned him into. I've, I did... Well, should we go through some of his films and then I'll yeah. go into my Scientology theory later. So Top Gun in 86. And then he does Born on the 4th of July, which is like his kind of go at an Oscar, isn't it? He does, you know, so he does Born on the 4th of July, Days of Thunder, Far and Away, A Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview of the Vampire, Mission Impossible 1, Jerry Maguire. You know, like... That is a pretty, 89 to 96, that is a pretty unimpeachable run of brilliant choices that he made as an actor of what to do. Like, sort of like, uh, far and away there is the standout. I mean, it's a terrible film, it, you know. It's... But you know that um, Anne Rice was so angry at having Tom Cruise cast as a stat she really really spoke out against it and um she she just told everybody how he he wasn't what Lestat was in her mind at all wasn't how she'd written him he was a terrible choice of the part but then once she actually i think saw the first cut she took mm. out a full she took out a full page advert in like the new york times or some newspaper i can't remember saying that she took it all back 
and that him and Brad Pitt were brilliant. So I think, you know, I think that says something. <laughs> he he was able to win her over, you know, with his with his performance, and that's the magic of Tom Cruise. Uh, Anne Rice, there's a famous interview with her where she talks about the fact that, like, beyond whatever book, beyond her fourth book she ever published, I don't let them edit me. I just, I don't, I don't see the value in it, in someone else getting involved, really. I just, I do my thing. I'm not really going to listen to anyone else. I know what, I know what's best for my books. Um, I think, yeah, I think she might not be a good judge of, of certain things. He, I mean, he's obviously, he's great in it. Um, I love Lestat as a character. <laughs> Look. <laughs> and I think and then and I always loved it I'd, all, I'd read all the books anyway by the time Interview Vampire came out and then it came out and, and my other emotional connection to it was that River Phoenix was meant to be the interviewer and oh, he yeah. died he died he died like the day before filming was due to start and so Christian Slater took that part so it's a very meaningful film to me as a teenage girl yeah but also I I think it's fine for you to still, you know, like, obviously, you don't, you don't want to only read her books. No one wants to fill up on rice. <laughs> <laughs> but as part, is fill up on rice even a phrase? <laughs> don't you mean fill, don't you say fill up on bread? No, fill up on rice. If you go to a, you know, like an Asian restaurant, you don't want to fill up on rice. So you, you say, don't that. say that. No, when you're at a normal restaurant and they offer you the bread basket before your meal comes, you don't say, oh, I don't want to fill up on bread. Asian restaurants aren't abnormal, Johanna. Don't, you know, don't, <laughs> don't, don't hate your culture that way. I, I, okay, if you go to an Italian or European-style restaurant and they bring you yeah. bread before the course, you might say, I don't want any bread, I don't want to fill up on bread. You don't, at yeah. an Asian restaurant, say, I don't want to fill up on rice because rice is what you then put your food onto. So that's, that, fill up on rice is not a phrase. Janet, check, check your privilege. I know it was for your joke. It doesn't work for me. You go to a European restaurant and you say, I don't want to fill up on bread. I go to an Asian restaurant and say, I don't want to fill up on rice. It's exactly the same. <laughs> it's not because you don't get offered a bowl of rice before your meal arrives, do you? I would understand it if you're in an Asian restaurant and you said, no, I don't want to fill up on dumplings. I don't want to fill up on prawn crackers. I don't want to fill no. up on my... I don't want to fill up, you know, before your main arrives. But your rice is your main. So you don't fill up on rice, do you? You're like, thank you for my main course. I guess I just... <laughs> have eaten in a more sophisticated context in which I've been eating like in a kind of banqueting context in which you have multiple courses and the courses keep on coming and you get rice with one of the earlier courses you don't want to fill up on rice because there might be some amazing you know whole fish uh whole fish with ginger for example as a later course that you, that you don't want to miss don't no one wants to fill up on rice yeah well anyway my grandma would be angry with you and I, I do say this to my children which is if you ever left a grain of rice in your bowl, my grand, like my grandma would say, that that they're crying, they want to be with their brothers and sisters. And now I say that, and I'm like, is that weird that we're that like that we're saying that all their brothers and sisters are the other bits of rice that are inside us for to get children to finish their food? But anyway, uh, yeah, if you leave a I grain see. of rice, it cries because it wants to be in your tummy. Well, and I'm like, well, that you know, that's the ultimate goal. 
for a grain of rice is to be eaten so it's you know it feels happy when it's been eaten yeah no it's, it is weird and terrifying um, <laughs> it's, it's probably introducing your children to a very dysfunctional relationship with food but but it it was it was introduced to you when you were a child and your mother when she was a child so i'm sure it's fine and that's why i don't believe you can fill up on rice because the rice wants to be in your tummy to be with its brothers and sisters that's a good point. I, when I said that pun, I didn't think about how much rice cries when it's not in your tummy. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me of how much rice cries when it wants to be in your tummy. Right, anyway, back to, back to cruise. Yeah, yeah. So I think the thing is when then when you look at his filmography and we look at that period, the fact that it culminates in Jerry Maguire, which I will watch whenever it's on TV, I watch it. It's just an it's just a brilliant film. Show me the money. You show me the money. Complete show me. me. Show you me the money. Complete me. You complete you me. Complete me. <laughs> you, you complete me. You complete me. <laughs> it's just an iconic line, isn't it? You complete me. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, I would say that, you know, that to me might be his best film. Jerry Maguire? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. What, would you, what I mean, would you say is his best film? That's a good question, actually, because I think, I think a fundamental part of a Tom Cruise performance is is like leaving enough space around the performance like the reason he's been so successful is because he's very rarely that present really as an actor like if you think about like you know you think about like when we're talking about like Tom Hardy and like the idea of like like Tom Hardy like is present in his roles in a way that is almost sometimes gets a bit in the way. As, you know, he's I'm doing a voice, I'm doing a physical thing, I've changed my appearance, I've done this, I've done that, I'm doing an accent, I'm doing a thing. Like Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise, one Irish accent aside, is just Tom Cruise in every film. Like you know what you're getting. Like he's a confident, wise talking, slightly arrogant at some point in the film he's going to have to deal with like arrogance or confidence or something like like yeah no he's a cheeky maverick he's a cheeky maverick that's what i love i don't, I don't even know if he is cheeky it's he's a charming else. he's a charming maverick yeah he's a maverick but he's also like um like very early on in almost every tom cruise film ever there's a moment when someone kind of goes Oh my God, you know, Brumble Hicks or whatever he's called, whatever his character name is in the film. Like, oh my God, Brumble Hicks! If you get this wrong, the entire universe will explode and we'll all die. And he's like, I guess I just won't get it wrong. Like, it's not. It's not complicated. It's not. There's like, he's, and that's why I think it's interesting about like cruise control. He has, with very rare, with very few exceptions, he has never played a character who is really actually ever vulnerable like with incredibly few exceptions like you, you know you like uh I, i'm just thinking that like i watched um 
oh, what was it called last night? The film that I watched, Oblivion. Have you watched that recently or can you remember anything about it? No. So it it is literally ridiculous in that it comes within about 30 seconds of having quite a brave structure and quite a brave ending in that the, the plot is very quickly, it's that we meet Tom Cruise, he lives with a fit woman who's his wife, we, we, we think, and she stays up in a space station like or a you know sort of a thing hovering in in near earth orbit he flies a spaceship down and does maintenance on things and the narrative that he has is that aliens attacked earth and they won the war but they destroyed earth and now they've got to harvest uh, hydrogen from the water on earth and send it back to titan a moon around jupiter where all of the people moved to and the, the pivot of the film is that it turns out that he's a clone who was cloned from the original him and uh, him and uh, has been has been cloned and then there's his real wife. And the film nearly ends with the idea that he sacrifices himself to protect his wife. Like It nearly just ends like it's an unhappy ending. And then there's another clone who is also Tom Cruise and it's a happy ending because then the other clone gets to be with her because it's still Tom Cruise. <laughs> and the fact that, like, the fact that that isn't a happy ending because the version of him that knows her doesn't exist because he died. But this, the fact that it is just another Tom Cruise, like, it was a really interesting moment where I was just like, yeah, there's a sort of aggressive psychopathy at the heart of all Tom Cruise films, I think. Like a sort of, um, yeah, like a comp... I mean, you say cheeky and maverick, but he's not... He's acting from a position of power. I, I find it actually quite troubling a lot of the time. My theory about Tom Cruise is his, his first wife introduced him to Scientology. So he didn't get into it till he was 28. So that was, like, after his first few films. So... How old is he now? Um, 56, I think. I, I mean, I just genuinely think that Scientology is a cult. Scientology just caused massive problems in, in his marriage with Nicole Kidman and with Katie Holmes. Like, as in, you know, he, he, he was somewhat famous when he got into Scientology, and I just think he's really manipulated. All of their practices, it is about controlling people. So, and they, all they want is for him to sort of make their money and attract people to Scientology. So, um, in my mind, Tom Cruise is a pawn. Yeah, but also someone who has uh, exploited the power of his position constantly and and his power within Scientology. Like It's that the Scientologists are, are behind every move that he makes. They're all there in, like, all his relationships. I just feel like if someone went out with Penelope Cruz, they can't be that bad. But it was Scientology that broke up him and Penelope Cruz because she wouldn't, like, give up Buddhist beliefs. Nicole Kidman didn't want to carry on in Scientology, so that's why they divorced. It's the same with Katie Holmes. Like, I, I actually think it's a very, like, if you look at it, if it was sort of a woman and a man, you'd be like, well, this is a completely, like, manipulative, like, gaslighting, horrible relationship. But he, he obviously... Needed something at the age he was, twenty eight, a film star, and they provided 
what he felt was support and community but obviously it's much darker and horrific so you, I, so that's interesting because i think like right from the beginning there was a like an almost sort of an unsettling uh confidence about him as an actor like you know that was like that, that sort of maverick i mean literally the character called maverick in in top gun but like yeah like that idea of like hey, I don't play by the rules, but like, so that, those were character traits, but that was also sort of part of his performance. He was 24 when he was in Top Gun. So yeah. I just feel that it, it obviously, it, it, it must be, <laughs> and I'm really happy for you to come at me and tell me I'm wrong. But I'm just like, you see the early films where, like, you know, in Top Gun, he's genuinely, he is a maverick. He's really fun. He's got his amazing smile. He's really charismatic. He's 24. It's a, it, it massively propels him to the top. So does sort of Cocktail, Rain Man, Born on the Fourth of July, Days of Thunder. That is then around the time that he gets introduced to Scientology by his first wife he obviously was looking for something he says that Scientology helped him overcome things like dyslexia and you know they they probably made him believe that any success he had was due to them do you know like as in it is like a mad it is a mad cult yeah but I I, I totally I'm, I'm, I'm totally willing to believe all of that stuff but I'm also just I'm just not is he that much of a victim of anything he's like an incredibly powerful incredibly successful man who's we just don't know the extent of like their influence but it is a very like hierarchical weird organization like obviously they've moved him to be like right up the top yeah but i i just i, I just don't feel that sorry for him like as, as in like it, i feel more sorry for like i feel more sorry for katie holmes in the in that sequence of events than him do you know what I mean? I feel like that the the famous footage of Nicole Kidman punching the air. Like I sort of feel like you. I think you're going you're going into quite a lot of kind of you're you're having to do quite a convoluted narrative in order to make him the kind of victim slash hero of it, where it's just actually just like a guy who bought into a system that gives him power and privilege and success and wields it against other people. You know, like, what, what, how is he the victim of anything? Like, <laughs> if there is anyone in the world that is powerful enough, confident enough, and has the, the clout to take Scientology down, it's him. And the fact that he doesn't is probably rooted in the fact that he gets quite a lot out of it. Like, you know. Well, or that he genuinely believes that he'd be nothing without it. I don't know. I just find it very hard to have sympathy for, like, a, a, a dude who has done quite well out of that whole system. I don't think he's a victim, basically. But I, I think... don't think he has. What has he done? What? What has he done well? Like, he's an amazing actor. <laughs> so he's he was always going to make it in Hollywood. I think if anything, Scientology has detracted from that. And made him look mad. He hasn't gained anything. I think your narrative, which is that he is so demonstrably talented that he would have yes, been successful in any context. Yes, he is. Of course context, he is. Of course. 
That, I is, take it, that is undeniable. I, no, I take issue with that. I think he's fine. I think he's like, he's charming. He's got even features. He he can speak quickly, which means that he's always been able to play intelligent characters because speaking quickly as an actor is a sign of intelligence. But I just, I honestly, like, what what would you say is his best performance? As an actor. Jerry Maguire. Right. So that's just Tom Cruise talking quickly, isn't it? It's not a performance. That's just Tom Cruise talking. What, what, what about um... what about Jer- what about Jerry Maguire is not present in any other film he's ever been in? What aspect of Jerry Maguire are you like, well, that's just Jerry. Well, you wouldn't have that in Days of Thunder or, you know, A Few Good Men or The Firm or Interview of the Vampire. What quality of Jerry I Maguire... Mean, he is acting... <laughs> No, no, like he's acting, saying lines. Yeah, acting sometimes is just saying a line in a costume. That is acting. Sometimes, though, acting can be more than that. It can be like finding a truth about a character that's not present elsewhere or in any other context. I think the thing about Tom Cruise is, I could swap out about ninety percent of the lines he's ever said as any character into another film. And you wouldn't be able to tell. Because but I mean, I ju- don't care because that's what I want to see. I'm like, I'm going no. to Tom Cruise film. I know that is, I'm going to see someone being really charismatic, like being a charming maverick, and it's going to be brilliant. So, like, who cares? So, yeah, swap out the dialogue. I don't care. Like, swap okay. in some other dialogue. I mean, I don't get your, I don't get your point. I don't get your point. My point is that... I'm not talking a- about acting. I'm talking about... An amazing A-list film star. Yeah, exactly. He's the top. He's part of the Tom Cruise extended universe, cinematic universe. Yeah, and like, I mean, I a hundred percent buy into it. Yeah, and that is fine. If that's your, if that's your frame that you're operating within, I think you can criticise him. I'm never going to accept any of your criticisms. However, the thing that disappoints me the most is his his friendship and casting with Simon Pegg. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, I agree. That that makes me yeah. that ultimately makes me feel like maybe he can't be that good a person. I feel like yeah. I like I can forgive someone manipulating the gap in power within their relationship in order to like manipulate a young actress. I can accept that, but I cannot accept putting Simon Pegg in your films. No, it's put, not just in putting him in a franchise of international yeah. blockbuster films. Oh, it's, yeah. Ugh. But, yeah. you know, with Katie Holmes, she had this childhood crush on him. I, I read a whole article earlier today about how, about his, their, their, the Scientology auditioning process for him to have a girlfriend. I mean, it just doesn't sound fun. It just just doesn't sound like he has a fun life. (laughs) Like, I just don't think you could, you know, like it's... Hang on, the first thing he said was she had a crush on him when she was young. Yeah. And so so for her, she was marrying... She was really happy to marry him. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, it's a bit freaky for him to, like... You know, like... For him to have walked into a room for the last 20 years, 25, 30 years, 
and just be like this sort of weird fantasy. I, I, I still think yeah, but that... I think that... But, that, yeah, that's weird for him. I feel sorry for him. Oh, my I God. I mean, that's really sad, isn't it? That he can't, like... He can't have He's a normal relationship. He can't have a normal relationship. He could have a normal relationship if he stopped trying to make his wives be like weird high priestesses in a mental cult. Like, well, that's I know, all he... but that's what, that, like... that's, what, that's what these Scientology people make him do. No, Johanna, I, honestly, I sort of am feeling a little bit like you've been, <laughs> like you've been, I don't know, you've been a bit cultified. I think you're a bit... I haven't been cultified. Uh, Jamie, I understand what happens in a cult and I, f- I feel like we need to save him. On Tottenham Court Road, did you do the personality test from the Scientologists? <laughs> did, what did you get? Did you get, did they tell you that if you just, if you said the right things that you might one day be Tom Cruise's wife? Yeah, I mean, I think, in a way, this podcast is a really good audition uh, for, <laughs> what would it be, wife five, wife four, wife four. Wife three, oh yeah, wife four, no, yeah, because he four. had his yeah. first one who introduced in Scientology, then Nicole Kidman, then Katie Holmes. Yeah, and then, and then, and then Johanna. So there you go, well, that, <laughs> look, I, look, I, I knew that we weren't, going to change each other's minds i think he is a psychopath a talented he's not, psychopath he's not a psychopath he's not a, like how can like he's not a psychopath he's i i think if you met him in person you would just be in awe of his star quality okay i just think when someone shows you who they when someone shows you who they are believe them and he has consistently treated the intimate partners of his life badly. He hasn't. I, I don't know where you're getting that from. How has he treated the intimate partners of his life badly? Well, Nicole Who? Kidman seemed to be glad to be ending their marriage. Well, that, I mean, f- we don't know. We don't know. We don't know whose fault that is. No, that's true. It might be uh, Katie Holmes. That that marriage didn't seem to work out particularly well. Yeah, but again, that does, I mean, like, loads of people have loads of marriages. It doesn't mean anything. That is true, Johanna. And also, women are bitches. That's what we have to remember <laughs> as well at all times. I just feel that. like he has shown us who he is. Look at him in his films. That's who he is. You can't fake that. You can't fake that charisma. That's who he is. I think, honestly, talking to you about Tom Cruise, I find it quite odd. Because it is, it is literally like talking to someone who's been in a cult or is in a cult. Or a cult. Like, I just, no, I just you like are. him. I yeah, just no. like him, and I think he's a good actor. And I yeah. just feel, and I, you know, and I feel a bit sorry for him. And I just think it's easy he, to mock him. It's easy right. to take the piss out of him. It's easy to mock him. It's very hard to be the biggest star in the world. That's no, how okay. I feel. That's fine. What would your What would your definition of acting be? Would you mean? How would, like, what would, if someone said, right, quick, now, what's the definition of acting? What is acting? What is it? Um, well, pretending to be someone else. In a yeah, so, so pretending to be someone you're not. And we've just established that Tom Cruise doesn't ever pretend to be someone who's not Tom Cruise. So he's objectively not good at acting. <laughs> like, he never pretends to be someone he isn't. He's just Tom Cruise. And I think, look, that has a value, and the value is probably like thirty billion dollars or whatever whatever his films are worth. But like, 
I just, I'm never going to sit here and go, oh yeah, he's an amazing actor, because he doesn't pretend to be someone else. He's just Tom Cruise. And that, what about that... what about the fact he does all his stunts? What about when he was climbing up that building? Yeah, he's still Tom Cruise. Literally, that's an example of Tom Cruise still being Tom Cruise, even when sometimes in another film it would be someone else. Like, they don't, oh, I don't want a stunt double doing that. I want to be... Tom Cruise does everything. Well, I don't agree. I don't agree. I just think you're jealous of him. Like, because what do you do? Like, the first thing you do, you mock him for his height. Like, why would you do that? Like, there's just sort of no reason. Why are you doing that? No, the no reason wonder, is... Be- no wonder he has to feel that he has to do all his stunts and break loads of bones and stuff, because this is what he has to face all the time. Don't blame me. Don't blame me for him being a Scientologist. I can see where we're getting here. It's like, no, he had no, well, to I'm be... Like, a- no wonder he turned to Scientology. Yeah, at least he found some people who, like, cared about him instead of, like, the general public who are just making fun of him. Okay, if he'd... Like no one makes the fun out of no one makes fun out of Dustin Hoffman for being short. They're the same height. Do you know why they make fun out of Tom Cruise for being short? It's because he's got this weird sort of profile, this portfolio of like I'm I'm Tom Cruise, I'm amazing. Like that that's because it's the one chink in that armor that they can go, oh, you're fucking five foot seven or whatever he is. Like, I, look, the only reason I think it's funny to talk about Tom Cruise's height is because it clearly matters to him. And he's in control, cruise control, of everything else. But he, the one thing he can't control is his height and the love of a woman. He can't control that either. And those are the two things he's failed on. His height and the love of a woman. Well... Well, until he gets married to you. I'd marry him. Yeah, well, I'm, this is what this is the vibe that I'm getting I just from think this conversation. I just, I think he's kind. Uh, okay, I think he is. Um, I think he's an exceptionally talented career manager, a mediocre actor, uh, and probably a bad human being. I Those mean. Like, you literally can't say he's a mediocre actor. That's absolutely outrageous. I absolutely can, because we've decided that the definition of acting is pretending to be someone you're not, and he's done that three times in 50 films. Like, that's a low hit rate to pretend to be someone you're not in your films no, if you're he's, an actor. he's a brilliant actor. He's he, You believe in him in every role that he has. He gives 110%. He always delivers. You You know, you know what you're getting... No, what you're describing, what you what you're describing there is a different meaning of the word actor. An actor is either someone who pretends to be someone they're not, or someone that turns up on time and says the lines that they were given to say in that script. That's what Tom Cruise like. He's very charismatic. Look. Well, you're annoying char- me now. You're annoying me now. Look, I think he is the best at what he does yes exactly he's the best at what he does he's the best in the world the creme de la creme of the Hollywood A-list there's no one else like him there's no one else like him I think what you've done there is you've mistaken acting for being a film star I think he's the best film star well I mean I'm talking about film stars I can't believe that you that you actually love Tom Cruise I mean, I genuinely love him. Yeah, no, I'm fine. I just, I thought at a certain point, I thought at a certain point the mask was I mean, was you're slipping. not going to break me. I'm just like, he's brilliant. 
Like, I would literally watch any of his films now. Just put it on, I'd watch it. Well, oh, you don't think... even have to be in the mood for it, do you? Just be like, I'll watch it. I just want to say, I don't mean to antagonise you because I know that your relationship with Tom Cruise is very important and special to you. And and I, I want you to be happy. That's the thing. And so, therefore, I don't, I don't want to, like... I don't want to get in the way of your relationship with Tom Cruise, but equally, I'm never going to believe that he's as good at being an actor as you think he is, and I think that's fine. No, but then that's fine, Jamie. Basically, I just feel sorry for you. I'm just like, well, if you can't just if you can't just enjoy his performances and who he is, then that's sad for you. Uh, there we go. That uh, that's that finished. I'm. Uh, that's one of the few times I've been actually glad for the global pandemic. <laughs> what do you mean? I think if we'd had, I think if we'd had that conversation face to face, you'd have punched me I out. Wouldn't. Straight, straight punch me I out. I don't mind. I mean, I don't mind. I've been. I wasn't angry. Like, as in, I like. I don't mind arguing. No, but you were very much like you were like your tone was like people are watching us. For how to do podcasts about Tom Cruise during lockdown. The whole world is looking at us. It wasn't that you were angry, it was just that you were very intense. I think I just yearned for a simpler time when there were early Tom Cruise films. You know, yeah. the films of the 80s and the 90s. Or maybe that's more what it is, it's a bit of nostalgia. Well, I want to wish a happy Chinese New Year to all our listeners think it was very topical that we talked so much about rice in that episode absolutely and uh it's emotional state as it is in your tummy <laughs> which i thought um, that was yeah but it's the year of the ox so there you go lovely and does that um does that sort of portend anything for the year ahead do years of the ox have any you know, you know they're just very sort of sturdy and reliable aren't they we, we've all got to work well, hard i think if we work hard this year we'll get rewarded it's that sort of thing <laughs> but also you know thank you thank you to the listeners who've inquired after my mental health i'm not it's not it's not that i'm very it's not that i'm very very sad i'm just saying that i cry easily at films but thanks yeah, for worrying about me She's just making a fuss, really. I mean, I was just being honest. I was just saying I've got to be yeah. careful about what I choose to watch, but I'm not going around, you know, in a state. Well, no more than usual. Um, we've had um, some suggestions for future episodes I thought I'd run you by. These came through oh, this great. morning. Okay. yeah. Um, from Lucinda and Clint. A lovely young couple, they sound. We've got So Long, Farrell... Alvida Zane goodbye. Oh, okay. Yeah. Colin Farrell. Yeah. Colin Farrell. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that's I like that. Um, it could be, it could be moments when a Colin Farrell character who is German has memorably left a scene. I would be interested in doing Colin Farrell because, if you think about it, it's probably done more interesting roles than you can actually remember. Well. Did you, if off the top of your head, did you remember that he's in Minority Report as the kind of antagonisty baddie, sort of minor antagonist, not the major one? I didn't remember, but when I saw him, I was very happy to see him, and I thought he was good. Yeah, I think he's very good, at, but he's very, it's very interesting because you like, yeah, you sort of he's not, you're not meant to find him sort of at all 
attractive in any way, are you? He's meant to be just like a sort of pretty, pretty slimy character, really. Um, their other suggestion is your goss is as good as mine. And that is the director of The Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer, which they said they've just watched because they need to talk about it. And... I mean, that's they've gone up, they've quite, gone quite up market there, haven't they? Have they listened to? I the like podcast? the lobster, and also he directed yeah, no, the favourite. I favorite. do too, but I mean, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, me too. I can do high art. I can do popular culture. I've got range. That's, I don't that's, know if I have. I don't know if I... everyone says that about me. <laughs> um, um, no, I mean, I've got range. It it just you know, uh, take a bit more prep. I, I, I think we definitely need to... If any of our listeners can think of a Jeremy Renner pun, I would definitely feel like I would like to to go beyond just our slagging off of Hawkeye to the to, to, to generally the Renniverse. Him, just that, yeah, the extended, extended Jeremy Renniverse. Well, listeners, it's been a pleasure. Happy Chinese New Year. And Valentine's Day. See you next week. Bye.